you. Um, and so the reading today is Romans 12, 9 to 21. So the title is Love in Action. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Does, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Peggy. I think we're meant to exit stage right as Scott comes in. Thanks, mate. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to our 8 o'clock service. My name's Scott. If I've not met you, I'm one of the ministers here. It's a delight to be with you once again on a Sunday morning. Now, I'm not a fellow who particularly enjoys conflict. Most of us are conflict-averse. We'd rather avoid confrontation if we possibly can, and that's not always helpful, but you feel there's something odd about people who really enjoy conflict. You know, angry men, drama queens causing a ruckus wherever they go. You think, what's with that? So I tend to avoid conflict, except when I'm on my bike on Sydney roads, because sometimes, unfortunately, it really is a battle out there. Uh, it might be aggressive drivers, but usually it's just thoughtless drivers or uh, lapses in concentration. Uh, but drivers protected by a steel cage of a car and bike riders protected by a thin layer of lycra, they don't have a symmetrical relationship with those lapses in concentration and sometimes you really do just have to have a conversation about it. I was uh, out of my bike once and there was a guy in a white van who nearly knocked me off or drove into me on three separate occasions. I don't think that was on purpose, he just wasn't looking and I was a little bit upset about this. So when I pulled up to him at the lights I planned to help him understand that with a little greater clarity. Well I'm glad that I took a deep breath before I did because when I looked up, when I caught up to him, I realized that he was one of our parish councillors at the church that I was working at. And I thought how easy it is for us to get into disagreements with people at church. And that's really what today is about. Uh, the next station on our whistle-stop tour of the one another commands of the New Testament. Live in harmony with one another. Well, what does that mean? Live at peace with one another. How can we do that practically? especially at the moment in lockdown. 
Well, I do hope you have Romans 12 uh, open before you because in that passage you can see that living in harmony with one another requires us to adopt a humble attitude and a bedrock of brotherly love. Living in harmony, living at peace with one another requires a humble attitude and brotherly love. And you can see that in repeated places uh, in our reading from Romans 12. Uh, So Romans 12 verse 16, which is really the theme verse for this whole topic, live in harmony with one another. Or uh, even in verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And and they just appear in what seems to be like a list of aspirational values or virtues, like cling to what's good, uh, be joyful in hope, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. But you can see that the instruction to live in harmony with one another is collected with repeated reminders about love and humility. So in verse 9, love must be sincere. And in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I mean, that's one of three one another commands just within this passage. You can similarly see instructions that don't mention the word love per se, but which clearly are practical expressions of care and love as we saw a couple of weeks ago like you can see there in verse 13 share with God's people in need practice hospitality so brotherly and sisterly love is really the bedrock for living in harmony with one another because it requires us to have a deep and an abiding concern for others well-being we want the best for others we look for the best in them But alongside that kind of foundational brotherly, sisterly love, there's also a need for humility. And once again in our passage, they're peppered throughout this section. So verse 10, for example, honour one another above yourselves, uh, which itself reflects the instruction in the earlier section in Romans 12, verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Or again there you can see in verse 16, immediately after our theme verse Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Ultimately, you have to take the view that by loving your fellow Christian, humbly thinking of them above yourself, that you're serving God. Because that's where Romans 12 begins. In view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Well, how do we do that? One of the ways is by living peaceably with one another because we love them deeply and because we honour them above ourselves. Well, I don't think there's any need to flog a dead horse. Uh, That sounds straightforward enough, doesn't it? At least at the conceptual, at the ideas level. But secondly for today, it might be worth thinking about living in harmony from the negative angle, or in other words, what it's not. Living in harmony with one another doesn't mean no disagreements, but it does mean no divisions. Uh, In other words, you don't have to agree on every single thing, but it does mean we're not going to divide over those things. Now, folks, I hope you're ready for a uh, farmer wants a wife update. Uh, So here's me uh, for uh, that week between the Tour de France and the Olympics thinking, wow, uh, we've got ourselves a wholesome, if not slightly antiquated idea for a show in which isolated, hardworking farm boys try to find romance and love from among a range of ladies who have uh, agreed to be contestants on a show. No promises, it's love after all, there's no guarantees of course, but it appears to be an endearing attempt to see whether simple 
decent fellas can find romance and potentially fall in love with a woman that will eventually lead to marriage and them sharing farm life together for all intents and purposes. It's warm, it's endearing, it's charming, wholesome even. Not so. So not so. So about a month after the farmer wants a wife finale, where each farmer settled on the lady he, he thought he'd struck romance with and with whom he thought he had the best chance at uh, developing long-lasting love, they shot the reunion special and it aired just after the Olympics. And the whole thing is an illusion. So Farmer Sam, for example, not even a farmer. It's a truck driver from Sydney who borrowed a friend's farm. And Farmer Will, who I consistently remarked to Carolyn, he, he seems like a really decent fella. He really seems like a decent guy. Actually seems really not. Turns out, though he had chosen the eminently likeable Canadian nurse Jamie to be his lady, he was having a full-blown relationship with one of the other contestants and had got that lady pregnant. And they just sort of dropped this bombshell at the end of the reunion special. Uh, the whole time during which the, the farmers and their chosen ladies were kind of uh, innocently grinning at each other and hints of love were all over the place. You think, what a shame. What a sham. Everything looks all sweet and wholesome and decent on the surface, but it's a smouldering pit of debauchery and lies underneath. So uh, unfortunately for me, it's back to house restoration and car renovation shows. Here's the thing, right? Living in harmony does not mean we flatten out all our disagreements and we pretend in a mischievous or a self-deceived way that everything is sweet. There's, everyone is getting along perfect here. There are no waves on this ocean, baby. It doesn't mean no disagreements, but it does mean no divisions. And you can see this clearly if you just sort of track the Apostle Paul's correspondence with the Corinthian Christians. So if you open up 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, this is how the Apostle Paul starts with the Corinthians. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Okay, so there's a further one another instruction there, that all of you agree with one another. Now that looks like it's contradicting what I've just said about you can disagree but not divide. But I think in verse 10 here, uh, he's using disagree and divide in the same sense. The, Christ the Corinthian church had uh, arranged themselves or allied themselves with particular Christian leaders, Peter, Paul, Apollos, and he just says enough. You can't divide the church over which leader you like the most. We have a message, the message of the cross. It focuses on the death of Jesus, which brings life to people. We have a mission, the salvation of all those who are perishing. Both of these things are so pressing, they're so unifying, it's senseless to divide over peripheral matters that are of secondary importance. But what's interesting is if you, you track the Corinthian correspondence to the end of 2 Corinthians, and see what the Apostle says there. So right at the end, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So you can see he, he starts 1 Corinthians with an appeal to agree and not divide. 
he ends 2 Corinthians with an appeal to restoration and unity and peace. So it seems to me that the Corinthians hadn't made that much progress in between the two documents, had they? Friends, we will not agree on everything. And there has to be space for disagreements between believers on issues that aren't central or uh, maybe are a little bit unclear in Scripture. What we do with babies and baptism. How exactly God created the world. What we do in our worship services. Who does what even. How a church is organized. Where the, the sovereign choice of God and the free will of humans intersect in salvation. Or even the specific ways in which we might fulfill our gospel mandate to grow God's church in manly and beyond. There's all sorts of reasons why thoughtful Christians might come to different conclusions. Which is okay. But you can't divide over those things. You can't cause a ruckus in the church, which is a huge distraction from our main task of sharing the love and grace and truth of Jesus to a world which is perishing and for most of the time doesn't even realize it. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live at peace. Now, I am not saying that uh, the only issues worth being strong and clear on uh, Jesus was born to earth, Jesus lived a perfect life, he died a sacrificial death, uh, he rose bodily from the dead, he will come again. I mean, there are a whole lot of other things in Scripture that are clear and ought to be taught clearly, that should be proclaimed rather than assumed, that should be fought for and protected. For example, the constant reminder to love one another, to pursue radical sexual faithfulness and purity, alongside flagrant, extravagant, cheerful generosity to avoid greed, to go for godliness, all such things. All important, all clear. I'm not saying that everything that doesn't specifically mention the name of Jesus is up for grabs. But it does seem to me that these things, uh, central doctrinal issues, clear Christian ethical issues, usually aren't the things that we divide over. Usually we divide over secondary issues, or if not secondary issues, it's interpersonal conflict that in many cases could have been avoided, or if not, can be repaired by thoughtful and humble Christians. So it's okay for Christians to disagree on secondary things, but not to divide over them if we are to live in harmony with one another. And so the question is not so much, can we disagree? Uh, perhaps the question is, how do we disagree well? Or positively, how can we actually live in harmony with each other? Well, here are some suggestions from me, uh, and I'm sure that you'll have others. The first suggestion is to listen well. To listen well. And by listen well, I, I mean listen to a person with whom you might disagree over personal issues or Christian thought with a view to understanding them rather than just answering them back or responding. I mean, ask yourself the question, how often when you're in conversation are you thinking, what am I going to say next? How about nothing to start with? What if the, the next thing you say is uh, a clarifying question? So what I think you're saying is this, have I got that right? I mean, how about we listen to people with a view to really understanding them rather than just looking for an opportunity for us to jump in with our you know, esteemed wisdom and our superior knowledge? 
You know, those sort of conversations, they, they ought to be a competition for who can say the least, not who can talk the most. It should be a race in which each person it tries to understand the other person to a point where they can articulate the other's view, not necessarily agree with it, but articulate it better than the one who holds the view. So listen well. Bob Goff is a, uh, a Christian trial lawyer in the United States. He wrote a New York Times best-selling book called Love Does. And when he coaches his clients for taking the stand in the courtroom, he makes them sit there with open palms. Like literally, they sit there with their hands resting on their thighs, facing upwards. And he says, with your palms up, open, you have an easier time being calm, being honest and accurate and a harder time being angry and defensive. I mean, just compare this to this or this. Open palms. I wonder if that's something that you can try as you aim to disagree well with others. Open palms. I mean, our, our conversational habits will make or break our ability to live in harmony with one another, won't they? Uh, most of us don't have trouble getting our words out. I mean, sometimes we bottle stuff up. We bottle stuff up until something triggers us and we explode. And that's not helpful for yourself, and it's usually not helpful for those around you. A lot of the time, the trouble is not getting the words out. It's that we don't get them out to the right person at the right time. Is it not the case that so often when we have an issue with someone, whether it's a theological issue or a personal issue, we talk to everybody else about it, other than the person that we really should be talking to, we moan and we whine to others rather than talk to the person with whom we disagree. Why not go first to the person with whom we disagree in order not to divide? And isn't it the case that too often we go later rather than sooner instead of the other way around so that a disagreement um, goes from sour to toxic to truly deadly poisonous? Wouldn't it be better to have that conversation sooner rather than later and with the person themselves rather than everyone else? Now, by sooner, it doesn't necessarily mean like right away, right now. I've got to do it right now. I mean, you might need time to calm down and collect your thoughts. They might need time to calm down to hear your apology or your perspective or your point of disagreement, but sooner rather than later. With the person in question, that is the main point. Another thing you can try doing to disagree well or to live in harmony with one another is to not assume the worst motive in another person. Whilst uh, we tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. I mean, think about this. Even uh, something as trivial as turning up late to things, do you find yourself thinking, man, that person, they're always late, always late, they're disorganized. I can't trust them. They're a distrustworthy person, untrustworthy. They don't value others' time. They're selfish. And so what you're really doing is you're attributing a moral flaw to their lateness. But do you notice when you're late, you'll say things like this, traffic was bad. I mean, I had to look after my kids. My dog ate my Opal card. In other words, you ascribe a circumstantial factor outside your control rather than a character flaw of your own. Isn't it interesting how we do that? We don't give other people the same benefit of the doubt we extend to ourselves. And I must confess, I do this often. And I wonder if perhaps we just need to extend the same grace to others 
we extend to ourselves and not assume the worst motive or the worst flaw in people with whom we are frustrated or we disagree. So listen well. Open palms. Talk to the person you need to talk with sooner rather than later. Don't assume the worst motive in others. And and the good thing about all these little um, tips or tricks is they work for all sorts of relationships. Uh, You think, well, we're not in church, so how can we put them into practice? Well, they'll work with your spouse. They'll work with your children or your grandchildren. They'll work with your friends, as well as working with fellow Christians. They work in almost every situation. Well, one last thing for harmonious living. How about let your bugbears stay as bugbears and don't become barriers? Let me tell you what I mean. Many of us who live here in Manly have our favourite cafe. Mine is Fusion Point. Uh, It doesn't try to be trendy or super cool. And even as I say this, Nathan and Stuart on the sound desk are laughing at me with their superior hipster characters. Uh, Fusion Point is just an honest cafe, isn't it? And um, they're small, small flat whites, I should say, $3.50. That's the most you should ever have to pay for a small flat white. But the reason I go there is they used to have um, this lovely Peruvian waitress called Neva, and she had quickly acquired a phenomenal grasp of English. She was always friendly, and she remembered my name and my order from the second time I ever went there, and she did that for everyone. She could make you feel special, even though you weren't special. She did that for everyone. She was just a delightful human being. So that's the reason why I went to I go to Fusion. But let me tell you, their takeaway cup bugs me. Now here's a picture of it. Can you work out why? It should read, We make coffee for the locals who love to drink it, not that love to drink it, because locals are people, right? We are who's, we're not that's. And I reckon somebody should have worked it out before they printed 10 gazillion takeaway coffee cups. And that poor use of language is a bugbear of mine because I think words count. But I don't want that to be the reason I don't enjoy Fusion Point, especially if Neva returns and remembers my name and my order. So I do want to say, don't let your bugbears become barriers. Don't be that person who says, well, I can't come to this church because they think evolution might have some merit. Don't be the the person who says, I don't listen to that preacher because he's got this annoying turn of phrase or he's got this weird facial tick. Don't be the person who says, I'm not going to sing that song because it's got that silly line in it. It's got that stupid word in it. Some of the songs we sing do have silly lines in them. They have the occasional stupid word. We sing a song. It's got a word that's not even a word in the English language. Don't be that person. Don't be that parent who rouses on their kid because they don't make their bed every morning during lockdown, because the house doesn't look like it's in showroom condition during lockdown. Don't be that spouse who goes mental because of the way your spouse chews their food, or that friend who secretly wants to stab your pal because of the way she slurps her tea or her soup. Don't be the, the housemate who becomes homicidal because of the way your housemate stacks the dishwasher. Do it in the wrong way. It's a bugbear. I get it. We all have them. But don't let it become a barrier. Ignore it. Take a deep breath. Pray for that other person and perhaps also yourself. You know, you cannot hate a person and pray for them at the same time.
Well, friends, as we finish, uh, it's all too easy for Christians to get into disagreements with one another, as I found out on the road that day. But if we love one another deeply, if we honour one another above ourselves, if we learn to listen well and talk well, disagreements don't become divisions, and we can truly live in harmony with one another. Well, amen.